Tonight on Huckabee, Rand Paul makes the case against socialism. Max Lucado reveals how happiness happens. Plus, actor and artist John Schneider performs. That's Trey Corley in the Music City Connection. And I'm your announcer, Keith Bilbrey. And now, here's Mike Huckabee! Oh, welcome, everybody. We are so glad to have you with us tonight. What a terrific show we have. And an amazing studio audience here in Hendersonville, Tennessee, just north of Nashville. We are glad they're here. All right, it is no big secret that I'm a Republican. I mean, I've been on the ballot at least a dozen times for various primaries and general elections as a Republican. But it was not because my family had a long tie to the GOP. In fact, my entire family were all Democrats. There were no Republicans in the South Arkansas County where I grew up, none. Well, some would say the only Republicans around here are the ones who moved in or have been messed with. <laughs> I remember maybe seven Republicans in my entire hometown. Now, like a lot of Southern families, there were three absolute heroes in our household, Jesus, Elvis, and FDR, and not necessarily in that order. I became a Republican when I was in high school, and I was the Nixon Youth Coordinator for my region in the 1972 election. Now, it's a pretty lonely job. I mean, first of all, Nixon sailed to a landslide in 72, but most of the people in my town who voted for him never admitted it. I mean, they had promised their daddies they'd never vote for a Republican across a union picket line. And because there wasn't a whole lot to actually organize for Nixon that year, I didn't have a whole lot to do, and frankly, no one wanted to identify publicly as his supporter. So my job was sort of like being a Maytag repairman with leprosy and a really bad, wet cough. <laughs> one of the early influences in my political life was my boss, Haskell Jones. He was one of those Republicans who had moved in from somewhere. He ran the local radio station where I started working at age 14. Now, being around him was an inspiration. He was a true patriot. He loved America, the flag, and the community. He was a tireless and selfless worker for anything good in the town, and he used the radio station to raise money for sick children's medical bills, the broadcasting of local youth sports, or raising money for Christmas baskets for the needy. Now, my family was kind of worried about me being a Republican. It's a wonder they didn't have an intervention for me at some point. Heck, I'm not sure if my own family even voted for me until I'd won a few elections. <laughs> and only then because they wanted to be with a winner. <laughs> but by the 80s, my affiliation with the party had a whole lot to do with my strong pro-life views. The GOP became increasingly pro-life and included a pro-life plank in the party platform every year since Ronald Reagan's term in office. Now, don't get me wrong. I've got Democrat friends. And I think both of them still speak to me. <laughs> well, I've often said, I don't think Democrats are wrong all the time, just most of the time. <laughs> hey, I'm just kidding, okay? Now, as governor, I had the most lopsided legislature in all of America, 89 Democrats to 11 Republicans in the House, 31 Democrats to only four Republicans in the Senate. I had to work with Democrats to get anything done, and I did. Many of my legislative allies were Democrats out of necessity, and so many of them truly became close friends. Now, I'm unalterably pro-life, pro-biblical marriage, pro-Israel, for lower taxes and fewer regulations, pro-Second Amendment, and strong for free enterprise and personal responsibility. I don't want big government making all my decisions for me, and I want the rule of law and religious liberty. But I also want to have relationships and dialogues with Democrats. By the way, we've invited every single Democrat candidate for president on this show, as well as numerous members of Congress. So far, only one of the candidates has come. That's John Delaney of Maryland. 
Now, we've had the leader of the group, Democrats for Life, on the show, and I really appreciate her strong convictions to protect precious and innocent human life. If you watch our show each week, it may seem like it's a little one-sided, and I admit I pretty much now am set in my convictions. But we truly welcome other points of view, and if you saw my conversation with presidential candidate John Delaney, you know I treat all our guests kindly and graciously. So if you see some of the Democrat candidates for president, tell them you'd really like to see them on my show. And tell them, I'll be nice, and we'll leave the lights on for them. My first guest is a rare voice in Washington, speaking up for fiscal responsibility as well as limits on government power. His new book couldn't be more timely, and it couldn't be more desperately needed right now. It's called The Case Against Socialism. Please welcome its author, Kentucky Senator Rand Paul. Senator, good to have you back, and I'm going to get right into it. First of all, big week this uh, week in terms of what's happening in Syria. You are one of the few people who from the very get-go supported what the president was doing and saying, let's get out of there. Why were you right and everybody else was wrong in those first few days? The Constitution was very clear. It gave the power to determine when we went to war uh, by Congress. Congress is supposed to vote. It's supposed to be the most important vote we have. It's supposed to be a big national debate and very important because we're supposed to value the lives of our young men and women and we're supposed to not just send them willy-nilly around the world into the middle of wars without thinking about it. And one thing that a lot of people don't realize is our troops had been given the order for the last several years, if not forever. We don't shoot at Turkish troops and the Turkish troops are given the same order. So the people who believe that somehow our non-shooting soldiers standing in front of 10,000 soldiers that they were not going to shoot at were going to be a deterrent were just not paying attention. But the president couldn't try to stop 10,000 soldiers with 50, so I think he did the wise decision by moving them out of harm's way. Well, it certainly has uh, been a big turnaround this week and that there seems to be a, uh, a ceasefire Things seem to be calming down and even uh, praise from the Kurds toward President uh, Trump. So that all turned around pretty dramatically from what we were hearing in those first uh, few hours and days. Everything that the neoconservatives said, that it would be genocide for the Kurds, all of that was untrue. Turns out you're right. The Kurdish leaders have said that they have withdrawn. There's been no genocide. There's been no massacre. And I think the irony of this is that I think the Kurds still have a chance for some kind of semi-autonomous region, like a province that they have a certain amount of control over and can share the oil receipts. President Trump promised he would help them to fight ISIS, but we never made a promise that we would come and stay forever and create a homeland for them. So I think the irony of this is, is by stepping out of the way, we actually created a situation where people all of a sudden said, hey, maybe we should talk to each other and see if there's a peaceful way out of this. We're going to talk about socialism and the theme of your incredibly valuable new book in just a moment, but I want to reference what happened to you last week. You were in California simply having lunch, and a couple of people came up and started screaming at you. What on earth was going on? It was my wife and I, one other couple, and uh, someone on my staff, and we're having lunch, minding our own business. There's only two other people in the restaurant. We're about a half a mile from the Reagan Library. We were just getting ready to appear before 700, you know, wonderful California conservatives. Unfortunately, I think it's the last 700, 700 of them there. in California. <laughs> exactly. But it was a wonderful day, a wonderful crowds of people that are real conservatives. But these people tried to ruin our day by coming over, you know, showing the middle finger at us, using profanity, yelling at us. And, and my question really to everyone is, they keep blaming incivility on President Trump, and yet the only people I see that are acting rude and coming up to people in restaurants and yelling and screaming are the left. That's why your book is such a timely, important book, The Case Against Socialism. There are people, uh, polls are showing that a majority of younger people under the age of 35 actually think socialism would be a great idea for America. What's wrong with that? When you look at socialism, every time it's been tried around the world, particularly in the last hundred years, it's been associated invariably with genocide and famine, whether it was Hitler or Stalin or Mao. I mean, most of our kids couldn't tell you who Mao was or that 50 million people died from starvation when they collectivized the farms. 
Um, but they do remember Venezuela. And only a few years ago, Bernie and most of the socialists in our country, Oliver Stone wrote these great movies, uh, you know, extolling how great Chavez was, the socialist leader, and how poverty was going down. Venezuela had more oil and still has more oil than Saudi Arabia. But today, there's starvation in Venezuela, the richest country in South America. People, the average person in Venezuela has now lost 20 pounds, mm. while the Maduro, the head of the government now, has probably gained 50 pounds. So when you hear people advocating that we need to be more socialistic, they always point out to Scandinavian countries and say, hey, socialism is working beautifully there. So what's wrong with that argument? What we find when we look at Scandinavia is they have private property, private stock market, and interestingly, they have had lower corporation taxes than the United States for the last 20 years. While ours were at 35%, Scandinavia was averaging only about 21%. Now, with the, t the Trump tax cuts, we've now come down to where Scandinavia is. But the other side will argue, well, they have all these free stuff, all these socialist goodies, free college, free health care, et cetera. But what you find when you look at it is it's nothing like what the socialist here are saying. The socialists here are saying only rich people will pay the taxes. In Scandinavia, the working class pays a 25% sales tax and the middle class pays a 60% income tax starting at 60000 This is still a pertinent question because Bernie and Elizabeth Warren are wanting to give Medicare for all cost $30, $40 trillion. We have to ask them how they're going to pay for it. And so far, Elizabeth Warren will not admit it. But the truth of the matter is the working class and the middle class will have to pay massive taxes. Bernie has been pretty honest about the fact that he says everybody's going to pay more taxes. Now, they claim that for those uh, additional taxes, uh, they're going to be just loving their new health care. But what it does, it destroys the private health care system, meaning there's only one provider. That's the, the government. Well, I think a lot of people are going to have to look long and hard at this Medicare for all because it means private insurance for none. And, for example, there's a couple hundred thousand union workers in Michigan who have insurance that's well worth over twenty, twenty-five thousand dollars $25,000 a year. It's good insurance. It's part of their negotiated package. They're going to have to give that up. But I think when they discover that the Democrats are going to take away their private insurance, you know, they've admitted they're going to take away your gun. Now they're going to take away their private insurance as well. When that comes out and when people really recognize that you're not getting free stuff from the socialists, what you're getting is a bunch of high taxes to pay for the free, so-called free stuff, I think people will reconsider. Senator Rand Paul, thank you so much. And I want to say to our audience, be sure to get the case against socialism. It is a must read for everyone. And if you have a family member who's about to go off to college, this is going to be just the medicine they need to fight the socialism flu. It's already a bestseller on Amazon for a reason, and that's because it's so effective. Also, you can keep up with Senator Rand Paul at paul.senate.gov. Follow him on Twitter at Rand Paul. Just don't follow him into every restaurant and scream at him. Let him have his meals in peace. All right, Keith Bilbrey, he has been screened and cleared of any Marxism bacteria. So we have given him the green light to tell you about our show tonight. Coming up, best-selling author Max Lucado tells how happiness happens. Then former Turkish prisoners Andrew and Noreen Brunson tell their story. And television star and singer John Schneider, all on tonight's Huckabee. Next week, Ken Burns celebrates country music and Alabama shares their story of success. Welcome back to our studio in Hendersonville, Tennessee, just outside of Nashville. Well, my next guest has been called America's pastor, and he's the nation's best-selling inspirational author, having sold over 140 million books. I want to... Let that sink in a little bit. That's like most everybody in America has had one of his books. You probably have too, and you're going to want the new one. It's called How Happiness Happens. It's right here. Finding lasting joy in a world of comparison, disappointment, and unmet expectations. What a pleasure to welcome to our show, Max Lucado. Max, Hello, thank you. Thank Great you. to see you, my friend. Great to what see you again. What an honor to have you here. Thank you. You know, the word happiness seems like an elusive thing. Why is it so hard for people yeah. to find it? 
It really is. Um, only one in three Americans say they're happy. One in three. One in three. Does that surprise you? It, not really. You know, yeah. I started to say yes, but then I yeah. think about it and think, no, it You kind of like canvas the people we see, and there's a, there's a lot of discouragement, a lot of sadness out there, and uh, I, think, I think happiness is that elusive uh, virtue that it seems like everybody else has uh, but me, and so people get discouraged. I think there's a lot of reasons for it. I think one reason, however, is that we're just looking in the wrong places. We live in the most uh, advertisement-saturated generation in the history of humanity. That we do. I mean, really. Yeah. Everywhere you turn. And in order for somebody to sell me something, they've got to convince me I'm unhappy. You know, when I see all these commercials that try to convince me that I have a disease. <laughs> it always has initials, and, and I've got to get this drug. But then they read all of the, uh, the things that are going to happen to me as the side effects, and I'm I thinking, can... the disease ain't that bad. <laughs> I'll just live with whatever the disease I can do without is. those, yeah. But yeah. you're right. Yeah. It is that we are just inundated with uh, telling us that if we only had this product, we mm -hmm. would be better. Yeah. You mentioned in the subtitle of the book, Unmet Expectations. So that's a big part of it, isn't it's it? It's huge. It's, it's monumental. And so the cycle works like this. Okay, so somebody says, uh, Locato, if you owned this car, you'll be happy. And so let's say I buy that car. And I do. I mean, I feel pretty good for a month or two or maybe even a few months. But then we all know what happens. It loses that new car smell. And I'm disappointed. So I try again. I purchase something else, a new house. Maybe I change pants or I change hairstylists. I don't know. You know, we do all kinds of things. And, and it works for a while, and then I get disappointed again. What happens, Governor, is there's this cycle, cycle of disappointment that a person goes on. And they look for happiness, and then they don't achieve it. They look for it, and they don't achieve it. And by the time they're, you know, an old guy like me, uh, they're, they're either either cynical, bitter, or angry. Hmm. God, God wants us to be happy. I believe yeah. that because happy people are healthier people and they're more productive people. And so finding the right doorway to happiness is so really important. So what is that doorway, Max? Okay, help well, us, help well, us find that door. <laughs> well, Jesus turned everything on his upside down as he often did. He said it's more blessed to give than receive. Hmm. So if you, want, if you want happiness, happiness happens when you give it away. It's that yeah. simple. Happiness happens when you make other people happy. I can guarantee, and I double-dog dare people, <laughs> test me on this. You'll be happier tomorrow if you wake up tomorrow saying, who can I make happy today? Who can I encourage? Who can I greet? Who can I uh, uh, counsel? Who can I bless? Throw yourself into the lives of other people without any thought of how it's going to help you. Yeah, there's always room for someone who will serve. There's always some room for someone who will be kind. And what happens is there's a boomerang effect. The more happiness you give, the more joy you discover. A guy one time said, uh, he was at church and a fellow came up and said, how are you doing? He said, oh, I'm, I'm fine under the circumstances. <laughs> and he said, what are you doing up under there? Get out from under him. I, I mean, that, that seems to be the problem. But you know, that's not something that is instantaneous because it, it, we are hardwired from our sin nature, I think. Yes, sir. To be selfish. Yes, sir. To want things for ourselves. What you've just described is not natural. So how do we develop that as a lifestyle versus just something that I know but I haven't practiced? That's a great question. Um, there are in the Bible 59 one another verses. Hmm. Encourage one another, help one another, pray for one another. Uh, in the book, I talk about 10 of them because a book with 59 chapters does not make anyone happy. <laughs> so I reduced it down to a list of 10 that we can put to use tomorrow. Some of them, you, I mean, just start greeting one another. Hmm. Just greet everybody. Today in the airport, I made it a point and stopped, and I, I said hello to everybody in the TSA security line. Hmm. I said, thank you for taking good care of us. Thank you. They couldn't believe I said anything to them. Did they go I, through your luggage? No, they didn't. Okay, see that? Uh, well, well, they, well, well, I was saying hello. I was sneaking stuff back. No, I'm just kidding. I wasn't doing that. But you know what? I don't like going through security. Nobody likes it. Yeah. But you know, I, you can lift your spirits and lift their spirits. So you can greet people. All the way to the more difficult ones are like, uh, forgive one another. Hmm. 
Nobody's happier because they're holding, harboring a grudge, refusing to yeah. forgive. You want to set yourself free from unhappiness. Um, Duke University listed eight characteristics of happy people. Four had to do with forgiveness and releasing resentment. And that wasn't even a spiritual study. No, that was no. a, a medical study. Exactly. See, that's fascinating. The Bible is never, yeah, they never did. shown to be wrong, is exactly. it, when it's really looked at? We appreciate the study, but we didn't need them to do it to tell us that, right? Yeah. I, I want to say thanks, and well, thank I hope you. people will get this book because, it's, it's, quite frankly, there's a lot of unhappy honor. people. And, and you know, every time you and I have a visit, especially on air, I always say I voted for you for president. And I always thank you for that. <laughs> and I always say that if more people had been as smart as you, <laughs> our country would have right now been better off. I, I really believe that. There you go. We, we might be having this conversation in a different office. There you go. All right, the book is How Happiness Happens, and it's available through Amazon and all major booksellers. You can get it everywhere. And you can also find his other books, his videos, and a whole lot more at maxlucato.com. It's on your screen, so jot it down. You can follow him on both Facebook and Twitter. Just search for at Max Lucato. Keith Bilbrey knows how happiness happens right here on this show. He's going to share his wisdom with you right now. Ahead, we've got former prisoners of Turkey, Andrew and Noreen Brunson. And later, country music's Mo Bandy takes us diner diving. There's lots more Huckabee on the way. Huckabee.com and sign up for his free newsletter and follow at GovMike Huckabee on Twitter. Welcome back. From pelicans dining at a local restaurant to toddlers punching out giant spiders, we've got the news that'll make you say that Adam Schiff is Halloween scary. All on a segment we call In Case You Missed It. Well, customers down under at the Cargo's Wharf restaurant in South Wales were surprised to see a pelican wander in and get in line to order. The pelican must have been planning on dining because he even went over to the ATM inside the restaurant. Now, some folks were a little surprised that the bird would even come inside with all the human customers, but I don't see why. I mean, he's called a pelican, not a pelicant. And by the way, it was alleged on checkout that the owner asked the pelican, don't you have any smaller bills? <laughs> and the bird replied, sorry, this is the way God made me. Yeah. Okay, let's admit it. We've all had that moment. We've set our travel bag on the scale at the check-in, and the airline employee points at the scale showing that our bag is overweight. Sometimes they point to us and say we're overweight, but that's a whole different story. And then we owe a small mortgage on the bag. Well, a woman from the Philippines, Mrs. Gail Rodriguez, showed the airline what for when she just put on five T-shirts, three pairs of pants, three jackets, and wore them all on the plane, eliminating four-and-a-half-pound luggage weight overage. Ms. Rodriguez said she will never attempt to layer herself with clothing at the airport again because it was really hot. And she also said that if she'd known her picture would go viral, she would have done a better job opposing. <laughs> All right, now this next one. I swear this is a real news story. It is not something like CNN would put out fake news. This is real. But it sounds like it's something that came out of an old Cheech and Chong movie. A deputy in Pasco County, Florida, posted a video on Twitter asking a Florida man, surprise there, huh? Ask him to stop calling 911 to complain that his roommate stole his stash of marijuana. <laughs> he called 911 to tell him that. I should mention that marijuana is still illegal in Florida for recreational use, because you would certainly never guess that. The deputy didn't arrest the caller. He just begged him to stop calling the 911 dispatcher about his stolen weed. Honestly, I thought the man would be too phoned to stone home. <laughs> See what I did there? Truthfully, this fellow was so high, he probably planted Cheerios thinking they were donut seeds. 
By the way, the police would also appreciate if the roommate who stole the pot would stop calling 911 to tell them, hey, dude, that was my weed. <laughs> well, Halloween is just around the corner, and that means decorations, candy, and fistfights with three-year-olds. Well, that is if you're a spider. So let me explain. Young Charlie McCormick was frightened by an animatronic spider and did what any future boxing champion would do. He took that spider on. Watch. Okay, Charlie. Charlie, it's okay. It's okay. Okay, Charlie. Yeah, go to your corner, kiddo. The round is over and you won, no doubt about it. Oh, Governor, you're bringing back so many memories tonight. I knew a guy with a pet spider that he took out to dinner once. Now, when the meal came, the spider took one bite, dropped dead. A friend gets up, leaves money on the table, and starts to leave when the server yells, hey, you can't leave that lion on the floor. You know what my friend told him? No. That's not a lion. It's a spider. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> lion on the floor. Yeah, we, 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 we got it. Okay. Um, <laughs> hey, by the way, you know why you can never trust spiders? No. Because they're constantly posting stuff on the web. Mm. <laughs> that was as bad as yours, maybe worse. Pretty bad. Now, before we wrap things up, let's take a moment to salute those creative Americans who wanted to don unforgettable costumes for Halloween, only to fall just a little bit short of their efforts. Like this guy who tried to look like the gingerbread man. <laughs> or maybe this woman who wanted to make an anti-smoking statement. Or perhaps this kid who turned a water cooler accident into a costume. <laughs> and then there's this little burrito baby who is not on the menu at Chipotle. And by the way, heaven help this fellow when he tries to circulate as a narwhal. <laughs> and finally, what kid's party would be complete without a pint-sized Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump for Halloween? <laughs> well, just like a stingy neighbor with an army of kids at the front door asking for candy, we gotta go. But always remember, we read the news. Well, Keith, as much fun as that was, I know you've got a whole lot more in store. Up next, Andrew and Noreen Grunson stand for the persecuted, imprisoned all around the world. And later, the life and times of country's Mo Bandy, plus television star and singer John Schneider performs on Huckabee. Well, few places on this planet stir the heart the way Israel does. The wonderful people, delicious food, stunning natural beauty, and most of all, walking where Jesus did when he dwelled on earth. Please come join me and discover it for yourself next March. I promise you'll have the time of your life. Go to thegreatesttrip.com for complete details. Space is limited, but the experience, it's unlimited. I hope to see you in Israel this March. Well, Turkey is in the news right now and in a big way. And my next guests are intimately acquainted with the land as well as its government. They were Christian missionaries in Turkey for 23 years until Andrew was unjustly imprisoned for two years. It took the personal intervention of President Donald Trump to get them freed. Their harrowing story is in this new book called God's Hostage. Would you please welcome Andrew and Noreen Brunson. So nice to have you guys here. I'm gonna first of all tell you that you have no idea how thrilled I am to have you here because I prayed for both of you. Let's start with, how did you end up in a Turkish prison? I mean, it wasn't the scene of Midnight Express from the, from the 70s. What happened? I think that they, well, they said they were gonna deport us. And that surprised us, but we knew that it could happen. Mm -hmm. uh, but 
when they kept me, we were together for 13 days uh, in a detention center, then they kept me for two years. Uh, obviously, that was not normal. And what they did at the beginning, I think it was to, they held me to make an example of me. They wanted to intimidate other missionaries, have them self-deport, and also intimidate local Christian believers. The idea, if we can do this to an American, we can do this to anybody. So, Noreen, during this time, you're separated from your husband after 13 days. What could you find out about what was happening to him, where he was, was he okay? Were you getting any decent information? So it was really difficult. They moved him actually the night. They released me and they moved him that night. And this had been our fear that we'd be separated and that, for example, now I wouldn't know where he is. So this, there was definitely a stress. Uh, that was a stress all the way along. He had a concern, if he's moved, will I be able to find him? Uh, but it was really difficult. We couldn't find out any information. It was like there was a wall of silence all the way up to the capital city. We kept hearing Ankara, the capital of Turkey, it will decide. An answer will come from there, except no answer was coming. Andrew, what did you hear, if anything, about what was happening with Noreen, about your case? What were you enlightened about? Well, I knew they'd accused me of being part of a terror group, an Islamist terror, uh, terror group. Uh, but basically, we didn't really know what the full charges were until I'd been in there 18 months. Were you ever aware of the enormously intense effort of the United States to pray for you and to try to get you out? So Noreen would come in when she had visits. We'd meet you know, through reinforced glass with, on, on the phone, and I would always ask, are people praying for me? And she said, yes, and it's growing. And as my imprisonment dragged on, we, we learned that it was growing more and more. So many people praying with such intensity for such a long time and in so many countries. And I came to see that my time in prison was, I know that there was a whole political intrigue going on and that's one story, but the other story was God's story. I think that he put me on assignment to be in that prison mm -hmm. to raise up all of this prayer around the world for Turkey. Now, it's interesting that this finally came to the attention of the President of the United States, who personally took it to the President of Turkey and said, I want Andrew Brunson out of prison. I mean, you didn't know it at the time, but looking back and maybe seeing videotape of the president call you by name and say, we're gonna get Pastor Brunson out, Andrew Brunson, get him out of this Turkish prison. Is that just overwhelming to you that it was reaching to that level? Well, it started in uh, May of 2017. Uh, there was a summit between President Trump and President Erdogan of Turkey, and he asked for my release three times. And the really scary thing is they kept me for 17 more months. <laughs> and I thought, this has gone as high as it can. The yeah. president is speaking about this. And it seems so hopeless when the Turks would not respond. But he took unprecedented actions to secure my release. And it's really amazing. And I believe it's all of this prayer that was pouring in that put me on his heart. I find it interesting that here you are, uh, again, living a fairly obscure kind of ministry in Absolutely. Turkey. And all of a sudden, you're the focus of international attention, and two presidents of rather large countries are battling over you, and our president put economic sanctions on Turkey that cripple their economy over you. Over you. It's pretty amazing. It was surreal. And he finally, the president of Turkey said, okay, I'm gonna let you go. You get out and you end up going from there. Within, a, what, a couple of days, you're sitting in the Oval Office of the White House talking to the president. Actually, I was convicted in my final court session. They convicted me of terrorism, and then they gave me a prison sentence, and then they released me suddenly. We're dashing to the airport to get on an Air Force plane, hoping that we can get there before they change their minds. So within 24 hours from being convicted as a terrorist to the White House. Oh, it's a God thing. Hours. Only God could do that. You know? Thank God. Prayers of a lot of yes. people were yes. answered. And, and I'm convinced that it was prayer that, oh, that opened the heart of uh, the president of Turkey and, and caused him to realize this is not going to get better for me. And that the president, our president, President Trump, put the pressure. Noreen, when you first saw your husband, a freed man, and you were on that Air Force plane, was there a moment at which it finally sunk in? We're when, getting out of here. When we left airspace, Turkish airspace. So I'm, I was watching on the screen, you yeah. know, it shows that, and instead of leaving Turkish airspace and going over to Greece, they went up the whole coast and I'm just waiting, <laughs> waiting for us to leave. Yeah, but uh, that's when it was real. Andrew, when you walked into the Oval Office, what did the president say to you? Well, he greeted us very well. I think this is a, he has a big heart on this issue, rescuing people, and he'd been so involved for me. 
he offered me Tic Tacs. <laughs> Tic Tacs? I, I turned him and I said, no, no, no. But then I thought, wait, he's offering me Tic Tacs, the president is. <laughs> so he, he gave me three, I popped two of them, and I thought, what did I do? I just ate the Tic Tacs. But I, I kept one of them, I still have it in the bag. <laughs> what a beautiful story. I'm so glad you're home, you're free, and you're able to tell the story of the power of prayer yes. that can move the hearts of kings. Yes. You know, we sometimes think my prayers don't matter, but the prayers of righteous people all over this country and world set you free, touch the heart of two leaders of two nations, and tonight you sit here with us because people prayed. I hope people never forget that. Yeah. Yes. Mm. My thanks to Pastor Andrew Brunson and his wife, Noreen. We're all very grateful that these guys are free and healthy and home. And we need to keep praying for a spiritual awakening and an end to the oppression in Turkey. Their book is called God's Hostage. It is a must read. It's on Amazon as well as other booksellers right now. Read this remarkable story of how God set them free through your prayers. And I hope it encourages you to keep praying. Okay, Keith Bilbrey is not being held hostage, and it sure is a good thing because we'd really like for him to tell us about the rest of the show. Coming up, country music legend Mo Bandy and television star and singer John Schneider. More Huckabee is on the way. Well, before we get to our next feature, there is something going on out in our audience. I don't know if you've seen it, but something has got a hold of Keith Bilbrey. And I mean, in a big, big way. Keith, what is that that has grabbed you and it's holding on to you? you, you uh, I'm, I've been taken hostage by an alien. I believe you have. Some what? of Trey's people, I think. I, don't I, know. I, I can't believe it. And then Trey, you know. I'm the truck of truth. Yeah. <laughs> you, you have thing? become a taco. Yeah. <laughs> trick or treat. Oh. Uh, what, you had trick or treating in the audience? Yeah. yeah Stealing candy from these good people out here that have come I to our show? That. They love us. They Nestle's, love, well, get, I don't know about Did you get a Nestle's Crunch? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Butterfinger. Thummies. Here you go, Governor. There's your sucker. Right? Thank you very much. <laughs> i tell you what, I'll just lick the sugar off the side and send it back and you can have the rest there of it. There you I'll go. Pack. Yeah. Well, there's a great, great restaurant. It's called the Colorado Grill Steakhouse, and they are known for their delicious slow-roasted prime rib. Now, I love prime rib, and so does my old friend Mo Bandy. So the Colorado Grill Steakhouse was the perfect place for Mo and me to have a little lunch together and talk about his life and his great career in country music. So I'm gonna take you there now. Check it out with Mo Bandy. Mo, we're going to talk about the great music career you've had, and you've had an amazing career. But I got to start talking about bull riding, mm -hmm. something you did before you uh, got into music. Mm -hmm. What on earth were you thinking? I wonder that sometimes. <laughs> I started riding when I was eight years eight, old. Probably. You got on a bull at eight? I got on the small ones at that time. There's no small bull, Mo. <laughs> yeah, <I know. laughs> but I rode for, for a while and rode around Texas. And uh -huh. So the song that you ended up doing, Bandy the Rodeo Clown, one of your big hits, and a great song, it's great visual. Uh, I guess that came out of the whole experience of your family and, mm -hmm. and you riding bulls and everything else. I was, uh, Whitey Schaefer wrote a lot of my songs, great songwriter. And I was telling Whitey one day, I said, you know, my brother's having a great year. I need a rodeo song. To this day, when I do shows, uh, they start hollering that right off Bandy the Rodeo Clown. But I told my dad, I said, I recorded a song. It's got her name in it, Bandy. He said, well, that's going to be a hit, son. <laughs> <laughs> and he was right. Do you sometimes worry that country music is becoming something other than country music? You know, one thing about the music today, uh, it's perfect. And uh, I think when you do that, you lose this, your heart. Yeah. But these folks are, are doing these songs and filling stadiums and all this stuff. So I don't know. They got well, something going for them, and it's good for them. I'm proud. Well, I love the way 
guys like you did it, still doing it, and I hope it's a long time to come. I can't uh, talk with you without talking about uh, your autobiography, Lucky Me. You know, I think everybody should write a book. Yeah. Uh, not necessarily a, a book, but a journal or something. Yeah. Because I, I want my great-great-grandkids to know what I was thinking about, what I did, uh, and I think everybody should do that. Well, I'm glad you have done that. You've done us all a favor. You've done me a great favor just by showing up here at the Colorado Grill in White House, Tennessee. I'm telling you, this is a place. I think they're gonna bring some food out here for us. We get to eat instead of just talk. How's that? Andy, uh, you're well known in the White House community and, and even around the area. Yes, sir. For the involvement that you and Colorado Grill have. Why is that important to you? Community is what keeps us here. I mean, it's a small town, small community. You know, we do a lot for our schools, you know, our students and our teachers. That's probably the most under, underfunded area there is. And that's where we can get, uh, make the biggest impact as far as helping out our community and things of that nature. You know, whether it be through our pancake breakfast that we do the fundraisers here on Saturday morning. And, but there's only one requirement that the kids have to come in and serve the guests. You know, so they actually have to work for it. And pretty much however many tickets they sell is how much money they make. You know, we donate the food, the facility. Now that's investment back in your community. There's not a lot of people that would go that far. Yes, sir. Well, let me tell you something that's been done right. The food at the Colorado Grill. Mo, you hadn't said a doggone word. I was hoping y'all would talk a little bit more and let me work over <laughs> here. Yes, sir. This, this good stuff this here. This is great stuff. Mm -hmm. We are at Colorado Grill in White House, Tennessee. But we're going to turn it over to you because we're going to get back to eating. Mo, Bandy, and I had a great, great time. Now, if you'd like to get your own copy of Mo Bandy's autobiography, Lucky Me, plus the touring schedule and all of his music downloads, go to MoBandy.com. And for more information about the Colorado Grill Steakhouse, because if you're ever in the Nashville area, you're going to want to go. Visit their website, Colorado Grill, WH, that's for Colorado Grill, White House.com, Colorado Grill, WH.com. And when you go by, let me highly recommend their slow-roasted prime rib. But their catfish is great, too. And their steaks, their ribs. Hey, everything is delicious, trust me, on this. Well, by the way, Keith and Trey, I brought a little costume fun of my own. I want you to know that I can also be Jackie Chan when I want to be. <laughs> and I can do some real chopping on the chopping block as Jackie Chan. If I want to be mean, I know just how to do it. Simon Cowell hosting The Huckabee Show on TBN. But most importantly, I will say to you, it's time to terminate all of this nonsense right here. And Arnold might say this, that he'll be back. And Keith, if that alien hasn't abducted you yet, why don't you tell us what's ahead when we are back? Well, he's going to let me stay through the show, okay? Coming up, actor, director, and writer, singer John Schneider joins us right here on Huckabee. Welcome back. You know, not every talk show has a musical director who's a taco. I mean, it's just pretty unique to us. Well, my next guest stars as Jim Cryer in the Oprah Winfrey Network television series, Tyler Perry's The Haves and the Have-Nots. And you know him also as Bo Duke in the classic show, The Dukes of Hazard. He's been acting for over 40 years, and his music career includes over 20 albums. His newest release is called Recycling Grace, a collection of music that I promise will truly inspire you. Would you welcome back to the show our friend John Schneider? John, good to see you. So not only is the show on so the Oprah Winfrey... So I have to Oprah give people Winfrey. a Buick now, right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, John came as <laughs> Oprah Winfrey, and so uh, he wants to, as Oprah would do, give everyone in the audience a brand-new Buick. That's there right. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of great careers, over 40 years you've been acting, singing... That's crazy. 
It, well, what's amazing, though, is not many people last as long in the business and continue to just do new and creative things. John, wow. that's what's amazing about you. Thank it's you. music, Thank it's you. acting, it's all these things. Where, I, is it, where does it go next? I, where, I don't know. I don't know. I, um, I, I love to tell a story. I love to tell a story with a song, or I love to tell a story with a, uh, with a pen or a laptop uh, or a guitar or a script, a screenplay. We just did uh, Christmas Cars, huh. um, which is a story about a guy who was on a television show 40 years ago that uh, all of a sudden his car has become the enemy of uh, politically correct society. Whoa, that's it. Yeah, imagine that. Yeah. Imagine that. Yeah, um, so I play that guy, and uh, I have my General Lee, Bose General Lee, and I, <laughs> I drive it, and I fly it, and I jump it. And yes, it has the flag on the roof, and I get to say wonderful things like, wait a minute, symbols don't hurt people, people hurt people. Mm. You know, Very how true. They... <laughs> right? Yeah. How do people see Christmas cards, this film You project? go to, uh, right now, if you want to see the trailer, we're independent. So you have to go to my YouTube channel, John Schneider, and watch the trailer, Christmas Cars, like cars. <laughs> it comes out on, on what we call Orange Friday, which is in honor of the General Lee. Hmm. Since so many people are tearing down Confederate monuments, I thought this recovering Yankee would build one. So <laughs> Orange Friday is the Friday after Thanksgiving. Okay. Yes. And... Um, if you like Dukes of Hazard, and I know we've spoken about oh, it, we if you love like Dukes, Dukes of Hazard, you're going to love this movie. It's so much fun, and it does. It goes right there. So many people ask me about the flag and the car, and I've had very intelligent people say, you know, I loved that show when I was a kid, and I had no idea how racist it was. I said, well, wait a minute. If, if you didn't, then it wasn't, because it wasn't. Tell us about the, uh, the music project, Recycling Grace, which I love the title. Oh, thank you. Thank Powerful you. title. Recycling grace. We've, we've all been given grace. Yeah. Uh, and none of us deserve it. Great thing about grace is if you're an idiot like I tend to be, you have a tendency to throw it away, to underappreciate it. But God is great and grace comes back. Yes. So uh, I think we're all kind of in the recycling grace business, whether we want to admit that or not. Um, and this particular record has that wonderful song written by Scott Innes, a wonderful DJ friend in uh, Baton Rouge. It also has House of Amazing Grace, which is Amazing Grace, put to uh, House of the Rising Sun, which with five of us singing, it's astonishing, it's terrific, and a killer song called Satan, Your Kingdom Must Come Down. I love that song. It is one of my favorites. Everybody is going to want to It's got buy. a great bass part. It does, and I want to tell you something. Everybody who hears that song is going to want to buy the whole collection. It is fantastic, and I'm going to pre-order Christmas cards. Thank you, thank you. I am going to do that because I know it's going to be good. It's fun. And everything you do is just fun. You are a great guy. That's why we love having you come. Hope we see you regularly. I'm going to come back as many times as you'll have me. And uh, johnschneiderstudios.com is where you can get Recycling Grace or anywhere you can buy music. But it, it means more to me if you come to my store. <laughs> I love the honesty. It just kind of does, right? All right, as John gets ready to sing, Keith's going to tell you how you can discover more of John's music and his films. To get your copy of Recycling Grace and learn more about John's new film, Christmas Cars, just go to his website, johnschneiderstudios.com. That's johnschneiderstudios.com. And make sure you follow John Schneider Studios on Facebook. You can watch his after-the-show exclusive performance of Faith Like That only at Huckabee.tv. Now, here to perform Satan, Your Kingdom Must Go Down with Governor on Base is John Schneider. Uh-huh, there you go. Listen up. Mother 
Kingdom. 